Lord, because we want to find our spot in what you're doing in our city, and we want to become the most open, welcoming people that we could be on your behalf, Lord Jesus. Now, open our eyes to see what's right and true in the scriptures, and Lord, for those, those of us in this space right now, for those connected in worship in their space right now at home or in a coffee shop or wherever, Lord, we're inviting you to Lead us and guide us so that we can represent you well in the city that you love with people that you love. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So in, in 18 months of living in a culture of fear and isolation, we're trying to combat that with rediscovering what it means to have the heart of welcome. If you missed last week, you could check it out on the podcast. I'm going to summarize a slide that to me defined what a welcoming church looks like. I'll put it up for those of you who missed it or maybe didn't write it down. A welcoming church is at least three things. First, we remember that Jesus rescued us even though we don't deserve it right now. In order for us to become a welcoming people, we need to remember Jesus rescued us at our worst spot. And so we're going to love people because we're going to remember where we came from and what God has done for us. Second thing, a welcoming church makes room for people to belong before they believe. If you're here and you're not following Jesus, or you have some honest-to-goodness questions about what that means, uh, questions about the Bible, questions about church, questions about Jesus and his teaching, that's fantastic. I hope, honestly, that you feel like this is a great place for you to be. And not just as an outsider, but like, no, this is my church. I'm not sure about all of it. Because it seems to me that Jesus takes people who knew very little about God's ways. He took disciples who didn't understand the heart of God. And Jesus walks with them for three years and transforms them day by day. We want to be that kind of people. And then we also are a people that extend grace and patience. Remembering following Jesus is a lifelong process of transformation. So... So if you feel like, man, I don't, I don't get it. Why do some people raise their hands when they sing and, and others don't? What is all of that about? Hey, grace, patience. We're all learning. And, and, and so we're here to be with people is the point. Wherever they are, Jesus is with people on their ground, on their terms. And he does bring the life of God into their space. And he moves them from where they are are to where God wants them to be. All right, this is the mission of the church today, and next week I want to look at how. How do we actually become the most welcoming people in our city? There is a phrase you probably have not seen um, that drives everything we do. If you go to our website, you'll see a line that says, helping people experience life in Jesus. That's what this church is about. We're about helping people, being welcoming, experience life. Jesus transforms us. In Jesus, he's the center. How do we do that? Behind the scenes, we put everything up against this grid. And I want to share it with you because it's the heart of welcome. Write it down. Together, we learn to follow Jesus, love one another, and share the good news. This is the how. How can we help people experience all that Jesus wants for them. Well, there's at least three things we could do. And whenever we're looking at starting something or adjusting something or ending something, hiring staff, thinking about building out a new volunteer team, we keep this line in view. Together, 
This is a team thing. Everything we do in this church is in team. I don't lead the church. A team of elders leads this church. Uh, youth is led by a team. Kids is led by a team. Serving is led by multiple teams. Church is about togetherness. So together, we want to do three things. And I'm inviting you, if you feel like this is where God wants you to not only be, but grow and serve, that you would press in in this season together to learn to follow Jesus together to learn to love one another, and together that we would share good news. I, I want to I tease out the following Jesus and loving one another because to Jesus, there are two sides of the same coin. And then next week, we'll wrap it up with how do we together share the message of Jesus. All right, you're already there, John 15, 1, and we're going to read probably about half of it this morning. It says, uh, Jesus speaking 12 disciples in a room right before he's going to go to the cross and give his life. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will become even more fruitful. Now this word is to his 12 disciples. You are already clean. Because of the word I've spoken to you. Now, verse 4, remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can any one of you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then he repeats himself. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, if you do not remain in me, you're like, and then he gives a metaphor, a branch that's thrown away and it withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, if you remain in me, and notice again, my, my, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, here's the why. This is to my Father's glory, that you would bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We'll keep reading in a few moments, but I hope you heard the repetitive word again and again and again. Together, we want to learn to follow Jesus. Together, we want to learn to love one another, and we want to lean into that statement where Jesus says, ask anything in my name, and I'll do it. And I think that has to do with sharing this good news with people. We'll get to that Next week, but now let's look at remain. What does it mean for us to remain? Some of your translations say abide. But that seems like a nebulous word. Have you ever, have you used the word abide this week? It's not a word I use. Hey, come, let's have lunch and abide. It just sounds churchy. What does it mean? Remain, stay, dwell, lodge, reside. What does it mean to remain in Jesus? It means that we lodge Remember, he's speaking to people who've walked with them for three years, literally, who have gone from town to town, who left their home, their places of work, because Jesus was their priority, and Jesus invited them to this closeness. They resided with him. They stayed with him. They dwelled with him. And so if we're going to become, this is the how, how do we become the most honestly welcoming people in our city? It will happen as we remain, stay, lodge, with who? With Jesus. 
And so he gives this, what we would say is a cute metaphor because we live in the Pacific Northwest. We have Willamette Valley. Many of you have been to the vineyards and you just see it and it's, it's wonderful. And there's a, there, there are vines and there are branches and there are fruit. And we think that Jesus might be telling a pretty little story. No, 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 no. Friends, what we fail to remember, they would remember. The metaphor of the vine is all over the Bible. In the first part of the Bible, in the Old Testament, the vine was the metaphor or the picture of God's people together. Israel was called the vine. So, so there was a people called out from amongst all the people of the earth who were to be the vine and, and God would be the gardener and God would grow them and they would bear fruit. Here's the challenge. Like everyone, this group of people called Israel, called God's people, failed. They failed to be the place that was fed by God and represented God to the world. They, they lived for themselves. They didn't love one another. They fought against one another. So in their story, when the 12 disciples come to follow Jesus, being a part of God's people was messy because there was no king in Israel and the, the land that was supposed to be the place of God's dwelling was overrun by the Romans and the place of worship, the temple, which was supposed to be the spot where God meets with his people, had corrupt people leading it. It was a failed vine. But God was not done with his people. So hear me. Jesus steps in and catch this. Before he goes to the cross, he says, I'm not just another leader. I am the true vine, which is massive in their ears. Israel, God's people, are the vine. And Jesus says, let me speak the truth. I am the one that you as a group will never become apart from me. In other words, the only way to live the life with God-infused power, becoming the most welcoming people in our city, filled with the life of God, Jesus says it's going to require that you don't remain in church, quote-unquote, don't remain in your group, quote-unquote. The highest priority is that you lodge, reside, dwell with me. That is crazy talk. But it happens to be the most true and liberating phrase there is. You see, you can become now, because of Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection, you can actually become the person that is the most welcoming person in our city because God's life is transforming your life and it happens in and through Jesus. And now over the last 12 to 18 months, we've had to rethink everything, haven't we? Some of us, were rethinking class, we're rethinking work, we're rethinking how we do our entertainment. You used to go to this place called the theater with a seat and popcorn. And even though they're open, most of us realize you could download it cheaper <laughs> and watch it again. We're, re we're rethinking everything. And in it, this is an interesting phenomenon. Many of us are rethinking what it means to follow Jesus. I want to suggest to you, in your rethinking of what it means to be a Jesus person today, don't forget what Jesus said. I am the true vine. And he says not to one person, not to Peter, not to John, not to James. He says to the collective group, 
I am inviting you. Together, remain in me. Now, here's the good news. He says, you're already clean, verse 3. You're already clean because of the word. When Jesus says word, he doesn't mean one-liner. Jesus' truth. Jesus' explanation of the Bible. Jesus' way of seeing the world and yourself and God and everything else. They had already embraced. They sat with him for three years and heard his teaching and said, Jesus, we're going to follow and copy you. We're not going to live the way we used to. We now see that you're the better way. And he says, because you've received me, you're already clean. You're already, you're already a part of this group of people. You're connected to the vine. But here's a challenge. In order to become this person, you must remain, abide, lodge, dwell, reside in Jesus. Write this down. We will grow in following Jesus by learning the scriptures together. Some of us have done well in this world of disruption. We found new patterns that are life-giving, and I think it's great. Others, I think, have realized we took some of the other ways of doing life for granted, and we're like, Lord, bring that back. Whether you feel like you're doing well at life or struggling in this season, I, I don't want you to lose this foundational truth. If you are actually going to follow Jesus, we will grow in following him by learning his words, learning the scriptures together. And it doesn't automatically happen. I wish it were, if you just come to these three classes, you will grow to maturity. It doesn't happen that way. This is a lifelong, and, and now the metaphor starts to make sense. Jesus is the true vine. There is no life apart from his life. So he says, you are branches. And here's where the metaphor, we kind of get this, but you can lose how important this is. Unless the branches are connected to the vine, connected to Jesus, there will be no fruit. Branches don't bring fruit. The vine brings fruit through the branches. But branches are tender and perilous. And they could lose their connection to the true vine and lose their fruitfulness. But a good gardener actually sees areas of fruitlessness and cuts. Um, we, were, we were trimming. Yesterday was clear the gutter day, all of those of you who have gutters. And so before the rain comes in, right, or Friday, I should say. So Friday, my wife and I were out, and I was doing, like, cleaning the gutters. So I'm up on the second floor on this tall ladder with a wobbly front, you know, yard, and Carmen's holding the ladder. I'm like, oh, I just don't want to die. So I'm, I'm up there, and I'm cleaning the gutters, which were overrun. But we have this huge willow tree that overhangs onto our roof. And so the leaves are just going to keep going. So I was trying to trim some of them back. And here's what happened. I was pulling some, some, some limbs that I trimmed, but some of them in the middle of some live ones, some green ones with leaves, I pulled and I just yanked this batch of dead branches that I didn't realize were dead. They were in the tree, but somehow along the way, they were totally disconnected and they were shriveled up and just snapped. And what a picture of life today. What a metaphor of church. It's possible, my friends, to be connected to the structure 
and not have the life flowing through you. It's possible to attend church your entire life and actually not follow Jesus. It's possible to sing the songs about the Holy Spirit come, reign on us, and never know the power of God's presence in you transform you to be like Jesus. But the good news is, for some of you, even though you seem far off and extended, that life is there. And so the word for us is to remain, 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 remain. Side note, how? For us as a church, you have to figure out structures that fit your goals. And for us as a church, we've been committed for 10 years that Sunday isn't enough. Nothing wrong, Sunday's a great day. Don't withhold the coming together as some are in the habit of doing. But as long as it's today, come together, be together, Hebrews says. The Bible tells us God's people are to be together. Old Testament, tabernacle, temple, New Testament, church. There has never been a time in the Bible where God's people are supposed to follow God alone. Never. Even in exile, when God's people were sent away, they were told, you don't have a temple, but they would come together in what's now known as the synagogue to learn the Bible, even though they were removed from God's land. Friend, if you want to follow Jesus, we together learn to follow him by immersing our mind in God's words together. But Sunday is a monologue. And so we've always had ways for you to connect outside of Sunday. And so we heard from Janae that we're starting in October our, our fall round, our fall session of our community groups. And we, we, we tweaked them about two years ago to be more effective. A good gardener trims back so that things will be more fruitful. Our groups used to do whatever they wanted. So we would do this on Sunday, but maybe they would study a book midweek, or maybe they would watch a video, or maybe they did their own little reflection, whatever. But we realized, actually, it's better to hear one thing and wrestle with it. So right now, if you join one of our groups or you create one, you're, you're wrestling with what you hear on Sunday by guided questions. So you don't have to make up the questions. You don't have to think through, how do I apply this? We curate something to start a discussion, and that discussion is intended to go off course into things that matter to your life. Those questions are guided so that it would lead to prayer. There are weekly things to pray together that are connected with what we're talking about. So here's the invitation. If you want to become the most welcoming person, it requires connection to the vine. And that connection can't be a once a week, you know, hour and a half, sit and receive that's like a, a starting block to, to get us all thinking about what does this mean for everyday life. And learning best happens in, in smaller settings. So whether you join one of our formal ones for this, you know, fall session, or you're like, man, COVID's wacky, and I'm just not sure, totally fine, then create something and take the questions we're offering starting in October and get together, well, I don't, I don't want to be with people right now because I'm unsure and I work in a nursing care facility and I'm exposed to lots of people who are elderly and immunocompromised, no problem. Create a Zoom experience or an outside experience and buy a heater. 
by heater, by faith, and sit out, whatever the case may be, what we want to do is not let excuses keep us from growing in the word, the truth that Jesus is speaking. He wants it to be in your life and work through your life. But learning is only one dimension. How do we become these people that represent Jesus well? well we need to learn to follow him. And for his disciples, it was three years of nonstop walking with Jesus. Now for us, we are living complex lives. The disciples were fishermen and tax collectors. They literally dropped everything. They had 100% attention. For most of us, we're parenting or we have a friend group, we have jobs, we have responsibilities. So we're going to have to fight the temptation to make Jesus a low priority that we get to if we have time. We have to fight that and say, in order to become all that God wants him to be, I must press in together. I'm inviting you to look at the Bible together. Time with God alone ought to be a priority. Every morning when I get up for anyone else in our house, there's me and my faithful dog, Daisy. This dog knows the Bible better than most people. Because this dog just sits right next to me and I open my mind to read and reflect and think and write what I think it's saying and questions I have that have nothing to do with me preaching. I want the word of God to invade my life day by day. And I have a real job with real responsibilities. So that's the pattern, but that's not enough. What I need is to hear what God's saying as we listen through you. But it's not just learning. Let's just keep reading verse 9, uh, chapter 15, verse 9. It's also everything to do with how we love one another. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And now if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments. And remain in his love. Now I've told you this so that you, my joy may be in you and that your joy might be complete. My command, not suggestion, is this. Love each other as I've loved you. Now greater love is no one than this, that they lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for you know everything that I learned from my father and I've made it known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and pointed you that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in, my, uh, in, my, in the name of my father, he will give you. This is my command. Love each other. All right. In order to become the people God wants us to be, the most welcoming people in our city, we together are learning to follow Jesus. This is a lifelong endeavor. I never get there. There's always stuff to learn. But then we're learning to love one another because it's not just about knowledge acquiring. It's about action. Four things that we see here. Write them down really quickly. They're super obvious, but they may not be obvious to you. First, the Father's love for the Son is the pattern for the son's love for the disciples. Hear me. God loves you right now. You're not 
becoming his disciple and his follower and learner so that God will love you someday when you measure up. No. God the Father loved the Son before Jesus did everything, anything. When he was baptized, the Spirit's voice was heard. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus hadn't done a thing. The Father loves the Son. And out of the Father's love, the Son, Jesus, loves his disciples and loves the broken and loves the needy. And so learning to follow Jesus is recognizing because God loves me and knows me, I can respond like Jesus does and I can love other people. Secondly, the Son's obedience to the Father is the pattern for the disciples' obedience to the Son. So Jesus does not say, hey, I can do whatever I want, but you better follow me. No, the Son does whatever the Father wants. And so because Jesus is listening to his Father, so now we can listen to Jesus. And in verse 10, he says, if you obey my commands, then you're remaining in my love. As I kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. So genuine love of Jesus always shows up in practical obedience. So to completely disregard what Jesus says over our life and say, well, I'm not going to do that, but I love him is an oxymoron at best and complete deception at worst. And having you, you all met people, maybe you're one of them, but you met people like, man, they say they love Jesus, but I look at their life and I'm confused. Love is shown in obedience. So together we learn to follow Jesus, which is what? To obey what he says. What does he say? Love one another. What does God want me to do this week? He wants me to love people. Love one another. And mind you, the 12 disciples were not one group that had everything in common. You had a zealot who was for overthrowing Rome and then tax collectors who were working from Rome in the same group. In other words, Jesus had Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and progressives. He had rich and poor. He had everyone in his, in his group. And in that group, he says, you don't default to loving one another, but the way you know that you have my life in you is you actually love one another. And this, this is something we grow in. Thirdly, the need to remain in my love is repeated three times in these two verses. Uh, this isn't natural to love one another. It's just not. So if you ever found like being a Christian is hard, it's actually impossible. But it's it is possible if I abide, dwell, if I choose to pattern my life in pursuing Jesus, then he will transform me and give me the power to give a love that I cannot give in my own strength. And fourthly, this is not about just obedience. The son's joy is the basis for the disciple's joy. Verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Hear me. Following Jesus does mean saying no to some things. It does. And anyone who tells you otherwise is deceptive. Jesus told his disciples not to do some things. And there are some things Jesus said you must do in order to show that you're following me. 
But the gold isn't blind obedience and becoming someone different that's rigid. No, the goal is joy. See, God knows some things that we think are life-giving, and they're not. And so Jesus says there's a better way. If you want to gain life, give it away. You want to get the most out of your life? Stop acquiring. Give your life away. No greater love has anyone shown than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. You want to you be a parent who's like Jesus? Give your life away. You want to be a student who's like Jesus? Give your life away for the good of other people. Stop being obsessed about you and give your life with God's power for the good of the people around you and you actually have life. That is a paradox. But Jesus says that's the greatest way. And it's about our joy. So Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you, and greater love is no one than this, than they lay down their life for their friends. Context, Jesus is saying this before he's about to do it. Within a few days, he is actually going to demonstrate, and on the cross, he's literally going to give his life for our salvation. And so friends, we want to learn, and by the way, be patient and grace-filled with one another as we Learn what Jesus has said. Let his word clean us. Let his word direct us, which means intentionality. And we want to love one another, which, which is why smaller groups of people following Jesus together make sense. And that's why our goal in our heart is to get you connected with some other people is because you, you can't know everyone. Like in our group right now, the community group that I'm in, I don't lead on purpose. I don't, I don't lead and just because I teach a lot uh, and I craft some of the questions, I don't guide the discussion because I want to be a learner. And I walk away every time profoundly like, learning something about someone, about God, about something that the Lord may want me to do. So I'm in a position where, yeah, I give out, but I'm also receiving. In our group, we have all sorts of things going on. We have a, group, a couple that's planning to adopt, and we're walking through the ups and downs of wanting to adopt with friends in our, our group. We have some in our group that's business is expanding and dealing with the pressure of a growing and expanding business. It's beautiful, but it's messy, and we're walking through that together. What does it mean to be a Jesus follower when things are hard and when things are really almost too good? And, and it's the pressures are there. Uh, those with financial strain, those with with challenges within their relationship, those with challenges within their family and friend relationships. We have all this stuff going on, and we're just one of many. This is real life. And hear me, um, I, I can't be there but for a few people. Like, I have limits like you have limits. So when we say love one another, we are not saying love everyone in this church at 9 and 11 online and watching on YouTube afterwards. In order to follow Jesus, you need to love all of them. That's impossible. Notice, Jesus speaks these words to 12. And if it's 12, he really had three that got the greatest download of his life. So what we're saying is, in order for us to actually become a welcoming people, we learn to follow Jesus by connecting ourselves to one another 
And we live it out by learning to love one another. Now, what does it mean to love one another? Today we're talking about how. I'm going to give you six rapid fire verses in the Bible. I could give you 16, but I just want to give like a smattering to demonstrate how practical this is. Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. How, how do we become a welcoming people? We actually say we're committed. Not to everyone in this room. And, and, and anyone can call, anyone can email me. I'll meet with anyone who asks. But I cannot give my life deeply to everybody. Neither should I. Neither am I trying to. Rather, we're all inviting all of us, be devoted to a few and honor them above yourselves. You know what that means? I'm available to some people in our group that could call me at any time and text and they can know I will be there and I know I can reach out and they will be there. This is how we actually follow Jesus. We resist the temptation to say, it's about me and my calendar and my margin. I live devoted to other people. Uh, Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on each other. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. We take secondary things, politics and sports and culture, all sorts of opinions that you have. You have an opinion about everything. The challenge is your opinion is wrong on some things. Write about others. So what does it mean to love one another and follow Jesus? It means I recognize that there are going to be differences and I'm going to stop judging you. I can't believe he says or she says they're a Christian and they... I'm not going to go to a church where they, they're going to, and mind you, these usually aren't Bible things and doctrine things. It's usually petty things. Like am I a donkey or an elephant? We take secondary things, we make them primary, and we dishonor Jesus. So learning to become the most welcoming people, saying there are different opinions about all sorts of things, and I'm going to say, you know what? On certain things, I'm going to be silent because I'm going to prefer my brother and sister and not pick a fight. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Okay, so we've blown it on the secondary things, because all you were like, oh, dang, I should, I should call someone. All right, we should all do that. So what do we do? We forgive one another when we blow it, when we disappoint we don't hold grudges. We, we let go. First Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Um, part of the challenge of group life, doing life together with people, is it will cost you something. Time, energy, resources. But here's the deal. When we live to encourage someone else, what if we all approached group life this way? I'm there for you. Whether I get anything out of tonight's gathering is irrelevant. Jesus has loved me. Therefore, I'm going to be available for you. That's a radical mindset. In a world that says, do what's best for you, Jesus says, find life by doing what's best for someone else. And those who give, receive. I want to be that kind of person. 
Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. Part of the gathering together is you realize that there's giftedness in everyone. And when you stir the giftedness in someone else and you receive what they have for you, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It could be as simple as you know how to cook well. And, and in your gift of service, someone has a good meal at the end of a long day and listens to the Bible as you talk about it. It's as simple as that. And the person who shared the questions is no more spiritual than the person who cleaned the living room is more spiritual than the person who made the meal is more spiritual than the person who watched the kids. We all are spurring one another. And finally, 1 Peter 4, 9, offer hospitality to one another. I love this. Without being a moaner, without grumbling. See, part of following Jesus is welcoming people into your life. Are we in a weird season to bring this up? Yes, we are. But this is where we get to be the people of God, connected to the true vine, and Jesus can fill us through a pandemic. So don't get a guilt trip about the people you cannot live this way with. For most of you, I will never know all of your names and all that's going on in your world and everything about you, and that's totally fine. Because a church that's centered on one person where there's a priest and they give away all the goods is going to be unhealthy at best. What we are is a group of people following Jesus together. And I have a few people that are building into me and I'm building into them and I'm asking you just to do the same thing because it seems that that's exactly what Jesus does. I'll give you a disclaimer. My wife and I have tried to live this way for 20 some odd years. There was one year we had no group we weren't living here. We were living in Chicago, serving Jesus. And at the end of a year, we were both totally feeling burnt out, just burnt out. And we reflected on why. You know why? We had no group that we were walking through life and Jesus with. We got so busy, we squeezed out group life. And we made a commitment. I'll tell you when. Before some of you were born, in 1997, after that year of real struggle, we will not do that again. And it's been the most life-changing experience. Has it been always perfect? No, but it's been life-giving. Remain in me, says Jesus, and love one another. All right, so here's the question, and I want to respond by taking communion together. Who are your people? If you have the bread in the cup, I want you to take it out at home. I want you to grab a piece of bread or a cracker and, and juice. And what we want to do is collectively, together, take steps to live this out. So let me ask you as we grab the bread and the cup, who are your people? Can I encourage you? It's going to be different in seasons of life. We've not been in the same group for 20 some odd years. It's radically changed. But in every season, there's been a few families, a few people, and it's mostly been a variety of young and old and people that we normally wouldn't hang out with if it weren't for Jesus, and that's totally fine. In this season, who are your people? As we think about them and how we can welcome them, love them, serve them, I want you to grab the bread and remember it's because Jesus knew the Father's love that he loved his disciples and gave his life. And so as a fresh commitment to Jesus together, we want to take the bread and invite God the Holy Spirit to make us a people 
that are willing to lay down our lives for the good of others with the bread in your hand. Lord, we thank you that you loved us deeply and where we were and invited us close and you're changing us. And God, as we take you in, remember, Jesus, you said, do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we're reminded that we're called to follow you by loving the people directly around us. So Jesus, the bread of life, we ask you to fill us today so that we can serve the people that you're sending us to this afternoon or tomorrow. Fill us, living God. Amen. Why don't we eat the bread together? And when, uh, when he handed out the bread, then he took the glass of wine and he passed it around and he said, I want all of you to drink from this one cup. The unfortunate challenge is we're not drinking from one cup. We all have our little plastic thing, right? But the metaphor was out of this one cup, you're united to one, one to another. And Jesus says, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give my life for all of you. In the early days, they drank from the one cup. Friend, we're united. We're united because of Jesus. And the same Jesus that rescued you is now rescuing me. And so let's learn to live like a Jesus. We want to lay down our life for the good of our friends, and we don't know how, or we're scared because of what it may cost. But Holy Spirit of God, fill us afresh today so that we can love people like you did sacrificially. Show us what that means in the here and now, in the real, in the details, God. We invite you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, drink together. As we respond, I'm going to invite you to stand up here, if you would, in the room. And we're going to worship and sing. We're also going to uh, invite you to give online. It's really easy. You can stand up here, if you would. Um, there's a button that will pop up or the give button on the platform. And we invite you to live generously. By the way, friends, the only reason all of us are gathered in this space is many of you have lovingly, generously given to God's work. And so it's not intangible and ethereal. I invite you, give to one another and give to God's work. You could do that online for most of us, or you can give in the bowl in the back. And let's sing with joy. Can I invite you? Give your A game in worship. Not like the Lord impress me, but pour out your heart to God. He's worthy of our praise. Uh, Ryan, Meredith, Anya, why don't you lead us? in worship as we sing.